Welcome to Finding Certainty with your host and U.S. Army veteran, Patrick Lang. Over the next hour, you'll learn from Patrick and his expert guests how to attract more certainty into your business and your life. Now, here is your host, Patrick Lang. Good morning. Welcome to Finding Certainty in our weekly interview with an expert from an area that we are very passionate about. It's an, it's an area that we we feel a, a light needs to be shown on, discussions need to happen, and more uh, awareness needs to take place. So, Tyler Schwab, thank you for being here. You are the uh, director of aftercare for Latin America. Specifically, you work in Colombia for the most part. Is that right? Yes, sir. That is correct. Spent a lot of time down in uh, Medellin and uh, and so forth. So uh, um, we're looking forward to, to, to visiting with you today. We, this is an ongoing series that we're doing this month, uh, four or five weeks, where we've interviewed uh, Matt Osborne, who's the Chief Operating Officer with OUR. We interviewed uh, Diana Rivera last, last week. She's a Latin American artist who had her own story about trafficking and and uh, so forth, shared some perspectives from the uh, from the arts and entertainment industry. Today, we're meeting with with Tyler, who's really, in a sense, he's involved with OUR in in several ways. But his primary focus is on the aftercare element of the, their anti trafficking efforts, and so he's helping on the back end, as it were, helping survivors to heal and recover, and and uh, and really. Be empowered to uh, to uh, recommence their lives. We hope, right? Um, so, Tyler, thanks for being here. We're looking forward to getting to know you a little bit and um, and hearing your story here on Finding Certainty. So, starting out, I always like to share just two reasons why I've invited this specific guest. And, and number one is Tyler's been with OUR for about seven years now. He's been in this this space, this anti-trafficking uh, arena for a good decade now. And and so he he shares some really valuable insights. He's been here. He's He's been involved in it. He's seen it from multiple angles. And I felt like he could share some important insights and perspectives on this ongoing battle, this... Um, the fastest growing criminal enterprise in America and the efforts that are, are in the world and the efforts that are going on to um, to try to balance the scales and try to put a dent in it. Uh, secondly, I am a firm believer that the aftercare element is equally important as the rescue element. We, we know OUR is known for helping work with uh, law enforcement and going in and creating these sting operations, rescuing these children from, from the predators and the traffickers and, and helping uh, in putting away these, uh, these criminals. But then what is the question? Then what happens when you rescue these kids? Some of them can't even go back home because it was their own family that trafficked them. Others, we don't know who, where they're from. We can't, you know, the, the, the list goes on. And so what happens after someone is rescued? Because that's not the end of the journey. It's very much the beginning of their recovery. And so I think it's a really uh, important piece of this conversation. So Tyler, thanks again for being here. But why don't we start with a little bit about you? Where, where are you from? And uh, you know, tell us maybe your background, your schooling and family, if you don't mind. 
Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me on this podcast. This 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 show, I feel very honored, obviously, to speak with you and your uh, service record and um, and to share what we're doing. I I um, I'm always hesitant to come on podcasts because I know I can talk forever about just the amazing, amazing survivors that we're able to work with every single day. And and for me, um, I'm from Wyoming. That's where I grew up. I was born and raised in the Cowboy State, uh, the Equality State. I still claim that as as my home. Um, wasn't much of a cowboy per se. I'm terrified of horses and getting on them. But but the uh, the the state of Wyoming always holds a special place in my heart for its for peace, the connection to nature, um, it being the first state that gave the right to vote to women. Like just so many special things about that state that I hold so dear. And uh, so I grew up there, but, you know, growing up there, you, you can be fairly sheltered on what exactly goes on in the world because um, it takes so long for news to get there. You're up in the mountains, especially like before social media and all these things like the word human trafficking never really was a part of my vocabulary growing up. Didn't know what it was until I went to the Dominican Republic, you know, on, on, a, on a missions trip. I went down there and and saw for the first time people being exploited, poverty, violence against women. And and there's a specific night I remember where um, they uh, there were these European guys, maybe like in their mid-50s, they were hanging out with these 14-year-old girls and they were kissing them, they were making out, they were touching them. And I put the blame on the girls. I was like, what are these girls doing out with these gross men? Like, what are the, like they should be out. They should be going to school. They shouldn't be doing anything with them. And just totally putting the blame on them because I had no idea what was going on until after the fact when I came home from that mission trip and and learned about human trafficking for the first time and and hearing that these girls who were with these men probably had no say in who they were with, what they had to do that evening, um, what they had to do with these men. And that really just opened my eyes to just the harsh reality of what human trafficking looks like, that what, what it looked like even back then in 2012 is when this would have been when I when I went down there and and it was just it was just an injustice. It was so apparent that I, I couldn't not do anything about it. And so I knew if I wanted to do something about it, I had to learn about it. And so I went down the Dominican Republic when I was in college. I sold everything that had any kind of value, textbooks, mattress, you know, whatever I had that was worth 50 bucks just to buy this terrible, terrible JetBlue ticket that took me to three stops in the United States before I finally got to Dominican Republic. And <laughs> Whole mindset was I wanted to learn if this is really happening. I wanted to learn about it to try to find a way to fight it. And I wasn't going undercover. I was just going as me, just to learn about what would, what was happening to these kids. Right. And so I went into this. Uh, I went to this dance club one evening, and I, I looked at the. Uh, I found the smallest girl there. I asked her pimp, you know, how much is she worth? Uh, how much is her time worth? And this pimp was like, "Well, it's twenty bucks for an hour." And I was like, "Well, I." I'm not going to have sex with her. I was very honest with him. I wasn't undercover in, in any kind of capacity. I just wanted to talk to her. I just, I said, I just want to talk to her. I'm not going to have sex with her. And this guy, he was, he got super defensive. Where was like, well, why not? Why, uh, why wouldn't you want to do that? You're a cop. You're undercover. Get the heck out of my club. And I, uh, I talked to him. I was like, well, what is 40 minutes of her time worth? If I give you 25 bucks instead of 20, can I have 45 minutes with her just to buy her dinner and to talk to her? And he was like, oh yeah, sure, whatever. And that was my first exposure to just the evil of these people of just a simple, it was a simple transaction and his defense totally went down as soon as I offered him money just to take this girl out to dinner. And so we sat in this place and this girl, she was 14 years old, 14, 13 years old. And she was just terrified, just shaking. And I was very honest with her, very clear of like, Hey, I'm not going to do anything to you. I just want to buy you dinner. I want to hear your story. 
and I want to figure out how you end up in this in this hellhole, essentially. And me telling her that I wasn't going to do anything to her, it totally lowered her defenses. She 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 started talking to me, and she was like, "Well, this is my second night in this brothel. Um, I thought you were going to be my first client. My first client came to me yesterday, and he wanted a, a sexual act that I wasn't familiar with because I'm so Catholic that I did, didn't know what the I didn't know how to perform it. I didn't know what it was. The guy asked for anal sex and she didn't know what it was. And so her traffickers that evening forced her to watch that type of pornography all night long. So that the next day when someone asked for that, she would know what to anticipate. And so she thought I was going to be that person. Wow. And um, we talked about how she ended up here. These guys came to her, her village. They offered her schooling. They offered her a job. And, um, and her parents, because they were so poor, believed it and sent this daughter, sent their daughter with them to study. And when she got to this place, they put a debt on her that she'll never be able to repay. And then threatened her, if you don't comply with what you're gonna, what we're gonna do, we're gonna go get your little sister who's just turning ten. So it's either you or your little sister. You decide. Wow. First person I'd met in this in 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 this experience, and my heart was just so broken that I went back the next day in hope to talk to her again. And I, I couldn't find her. They'd already they had already moved her. And the whole experience was just so impactful to me. It inspired me to get involved in this fight because in my head, I had planned to get involved in the fight. Like once I retired, once I once I had money, once I had stuff to give, once I had experience. And I was like, that's great. That's a good idea. And I'm thankful for people that do that. But this girl needs help right now. Like who knows in 20 years when I retire, if she's going to still be alive. She needs help right now. And that inspired me that day on the spot to to abandon what I had wanted to study before, which is healthcare administration, and focused all of my efforts, all of my studies, all of my experience on doing all I can to help empower survivors of human trafficking because it was an injustice. It just I couldn't imagine doing anything else, and I couldn't live with myself knowing I wasn't doing everything that I could, even at 22, to 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 pursue healing and pursue justice for these little girls and these little boys. I think you mentioned a really important word, Tyler, and you, when you say injustice, right? These are not, uh, you know, we think of hookers or prostitutes or, you know, as grown women who've chosen to take this field. This is not the case. I'm sure that exists out there, but we're talking about children, young children, 13, 14. And one of the stark realities about this that I've learned and am learning is they use um, extortion, they use threats, they use physical, um, you know, abuse, they use drugs. Like you, you give the example of her saying, if you don't do this and we're going to go get your, your little sister. I mean, talk about diabolical, right? She's terrified. I think of a 13, 14 year old, there's still a child, but that is what's going on out there. That's who's being drawn into this, travesty this pandemic um oftentimes more often than not the family is unaware that it's happening other times the family's so poor they they know what they're doing but they still put their children into it but a lot of the time they don't know right they think they're going to a better life or even uh, older older uh, you know, teenagers and women who think they're or even men you know young boys they think they're going to school or they're going to a, a modeling opportunity or they're going to do a, a job, a good job, right? Isn't it? Isn't it so much? Um, I, I guess I want to say uh, bait and switch, right? 
they're tricked into getting into this and then they can't get out. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's two things that you mentioned that I think are so important. Um, the, uh, the people sometimes come back like pro prostitution, pro sex work people come back and they say that, you know, prostitution is the world's oldest profession. It's always been there. And I just think that's such a, that's such a sad reality, but it's also not hundred percent accurate. I would think that it's not the world's oldest profession. I would call it the world's world's oldest oppression because it's vulnerable women, Good word. men that have money because they have money, believing they have access to the bodies of vulnerable women. And whether it happened, you know, in the beginning of time or now, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a full oppression. And us as, as a society, if we see that as a profession, then we need to do better for our women in this society. Um, Cause I do believe hundred percent that is, it is an, it is oppressive and it is the world's oldest oppression. And the second I, point, I totally agree. Now, let me just interject. You know, I think it's so important in our word choice, whether it's profession versus oppression. I love that. I think it's a really important insight, but also I've heard recently, and I, and I think this is a really important distinction. We don't just refer to child pornography again anymore. At least we shouldn't be and more and more. I know you guys are helping spearhead this movement, but it is child rape videos, right? Sure. And just the just that change in language, it's so important that we understand what it is. We perpetrate it. We 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 promote that. We we create that awareness because let's not call a, a let's not it's not tomato tomato, right? <laughs> there are uh, there are very important distinctions, literary just word choice distinctions that are important in this movement. So go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off, but a good segue for me. So I appreciate it. Then I think the other, other another distinction is that you uh, you don't have to be you know taken overseas to be trafficked or even tricked into a job. It's some of the saddest cases that I've ever worked involved um, family members of of these of these victims. One of my first ever cases at OUR. Um, was a case of a mother who was selling her two daughters, ages seven and five, uh, in her own home. She had a Facebook group set up by a man in Pittsburgh where um, she would live stream sexual acts and she would be paid via Bitcoin based on the sexual acts that this seven-year-old little girl would do to her little sister. And they, it was she was forced to do it because her mother there was that threat of violence uh, behind these two little girls. And the trafficking, they never... They never had to leave their house. They were created, create, uh, the mother was creating these child rape videos. And it's such a, just a, an injustice on all different levels of just the, the poverty, the familial trafficking, and the fact that you can be exploited in such a horrific way um, inside your own home. And that was one of the first cases I was ever assigned. And so figuring out like how to help these survivors, how to get them out of the situation. We got them out, mothers in jail, serving the next 25 years in prison. And the, the survivors went to this aftercare home and this aftercare home, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a very sweet, um, very sweet home. And we looked to invest in this home in a way that could create sustainable outcomes, create sustainable food, employment for these survivors. And so we actually invested in a bunny farm to where these survivors are now, um, they're, uh, they're learning how to raise rabbits. They're learning how to cook rabbits. They're learning how to sell their fur. And it's crazy that we're even talking about this specific case because I just got a note from the director while we're sitting here that um, and OUR is not involved in the adoption adoption process, but this specific home in the Dominican Republic does work um, with adoption agencies in different churches around the United States. 
And I just found out that uh, that this survivor, the oldest sister, um, who would now be uh, 11 or 12, is currently up for adoption for a family in Wyoming. And so that's uh, that's a pretty cool notice that just comes across as we're speaking that uh, there is there was a happy ending, and the happy ending is is continuing uh, well into the future. That's fantastic. You know, I know none none of you who are involved are looking for recognition. I mean, whether it's you or Jessica Mass or Nate Lewis or, you know, Tim Ballard, who was the founder of OUR. Anyone who's listening who doesn't know what OUR is, Operation Underground Railroad is a nonprofit that exists to help combat child slavery and really slavery and trafficking in general, but especially that of children. And, um, and the organization over the last 10 or so years, how many years now? 13 or... 10 years. I think, we're, I think we're coming on 10 years. This coming up fall. on 10, right? Right. But it's continued to evolve. And even Tim Ballard, who started the organization, um, is moving on and kind of expanding his influence. He's uh, The film Sound of Freedom came out recently. It's still in the box office. It's still in theaters after over two months now. It's going international. And I know it's casting a lot of... It's helping create a lot of great awareness for the uh, the struggle and the battle against uh, trafficking. But, um, you know, I bet you've seen a lot, and I want to come back. We're coming up on our first break here, but I bet you've seen a lot that's that's happened in the last 10 years, well, at least seven that you've been there, there at OUR. I think there's some very exciting things happen as 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 more and more people take part, and, and exciting might not be the right word because it's, it's tragic that it's needed, right? But it's exciting seeing, it's encouraging, maybe is a better word, seeing more and more people get involved and more and more awareness taking place. And and people realizing that this is a conversation that has to happen. It might not be an enjoyable conversation, but it's not something we can sweep under the rug and pretend like it doesn't exist. So you, uh, you got about 30 seconds before our break. Anything you want to add to that? No, um, 100% agree that... Uh a lot of exciting things coming coming and uh the sound of freedom definitely has uh raised awareness on the global issue uh-huh. and um and i hope that people take advantage to know that how how they can support in, in their different communities across the globe absolutely uh we're visiting with tyler schwab from operation underground railroad here on finding certainty we're going to go to a quick uh, break we'll be right back Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Certainty Management can help create more certainty in your life with our deep discount health insurance options, even for 1099s, part-time employees, volunteers, and more. Pay less to protect yourself, your loved ones, and your team. Call 888-684-3122 for a free quote today. That's 888-684-3122. Visit us on the web at CertaintyTeam.com. That's Certainty, T-E-A-M, like Mary, dot com. If you're a nonprofit in need of funding, we can help. 
Certainty Management is a cost reduction firm that also helps churches, schools, sports teams, and other nonprofits raise unlimited zero cost funding. Best of all, you don't have to sell anything or ask for donations. Call 888 684 3122 to learn more today. That's 888 684 3122. Visit us on the web at certaintyteam.com. That's certainty, T E A M, like Mary.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Finding Certainty with Patrick Lang. Have a question for Patrick or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now, back to the show with Patrick. Welcome back. We're glad you didn't go anywhere. We're visiting with Tyler Schwab from Operation Underground Railroad. He is a part of their aftercare program. Director, specifically working in South America. I wanted to make a point, if I could, um, Tyler, as we were talking here. You served a mission down in Central or Southern America. Which country were you in originally? Dominican Republic. Okay, so served a a service mission, church mission. And I know when you serve a mission, I served a mission uh, similar to you, and I served in Italy. And ever since then, I love all things Italian, right? I mean, it just becomes a part of you. And, you you know, I've been back several times, and you just do anything to help. And I know if you served in Dominican Republic, you served in in that part of the the world, your heart really goes out to the people. Right. You talked about how your perspectives have changed and you've learned more and but you really do come to care for the people. And it applies in any church or or organization. If you're giving service to others, you invariably come to love them. Right. And it must be difficult seeing what's happening. I mean, we hear about it, right? We we're gaining awareness as a public and as a people. We're we're starting to understand more and more of what in fact is happening. And, and, and to your point earlier, it's not just happening far away. It's happening in our own backyards, right? And, which is a critical piece. We need to realize it's not only we here in here in America, we're the biggest consumers, the biggest producers of, of child rape videos and the biggest consumers, um, which is hard to imagine, but it is. We, Matt and I talked a little bit about how that happens from pornography and getting in grows into a an addiction and it grows into a, a um, just a real problem but but as you've seen and I'm getting to a point here <laughs> my question is as you've experienced this over the last 10 years um, what is it that you want the public to know or understand about this industry that maybe they don't uh, many of us have a general maybe perspective but we don't truly understand it like you do and matt and others who are in the trenches if you had to share a point or two what would that be that's a good question i think um i think uh one thing i would stress um just for the public to know is that um Trafficking doesn't need to be, you know, kids taken, put into a container and shipped off to Thailand or Colombia or whatever. Um, 
that's really hard and it's really expensive for traffickers. It does happen to a small, 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 small portion of the victims. But these traffickers, they are business people. And so if there's a vulnerable girl in the school next door or a niece or a, a homeless youth downtown in the, in the in the city that you live in, they're going to go after that person uh, versus going and kidnapping someone. Because when you kidnap someone, you kick up a lot of dust. People are looking for you. Like the Elizabeth Smart example that I, that I use quite often, like that is the worst case scenario for a trafficker where everybody in there everybody was looking for Elizabeth and, you know, thank God that she was found. Traffickers don't want that. Traffickers want to f locate the person that either can trick or the person that no one's looking for, such as right. or a homeless youth. I think that's an important um, thing to remember. hundred percent. I, I think it's a really important point. And then I think the second point is, um, and I, you mentioned, you know, missions and, and living in different places and loving on different people and, and I think uh, this is probably the scariest thing that I could share is that uh, more likely than not, um, it's happening to someone that you care about. And I say that because, you know, I, I just came to this realization just recently, unfortunately, where, um, you know, with the women in, in my circle, my, my sister, my, my nieces, my, my cousins, um, I've always thought that I, you know, was very protective of them and that nothing, something bad was happening to other people that I was helping, but no one that was in my close circle that I was looking over. And it, it hit me re recently that that just wasn't the truth. Cause it, there was a group of women, a group of girls really that I met while missionary that you had mentioned. Um, these girls were, when I met them five, six and eight, and they were essentially like, we became family. We we communicated. I helped pay for their school, going through college, make sure they were taken care of. And over the last six months, six months to a year, these three girls are just on the top of my head from the Dominican Republic that I was so close with throughout the last 13 years disclosed the things that happened to them. One was exploited by a store clerk. He would give uh, this extremely poor family groceries in exchange for him being able to sexually abuse this girl. One of the girls had um, a very aggressive stepdad that would that would do things to her at night. And the other one just had a very awful father that sexually abused her from the time that she was 10 till she was 15 and she ran away from home. Mm. And, it, and it was it, it broke my heart because it happened to these these survivors, these girls that I cared so much about for the last 13 years that I thought because they knew me and that I was looking out for them, they were safe but they weren't, things still happened to them. And so it's a scary reality, I think for parents and for uncles and for grandparents and mothers and whoever that uh, something is probably happening to um, someone that you care about, that you're close to. And so it's more important than ever to, to, to create a safe environment for those people, if they decide to tell you, to listen, to believe them, believe what they're saying and create a soft space to where when they tell you that uh, you're listening, and you guys together can help find a solution. I think it's a really important point, Ty, because you, you know, you you don't think that it's hitting as close to home as it is, right? And yet, how do we find out it is? Well, you 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 hit the nail on the head when you said we create. I think you meant to say a safe space, a soft space, where. Someone's comfortable talking about it. I mean, there's there's embarrassment, there's a stigma, they feel guilty when they shouldn't, but there's, you know, there's it's hard for someone to come out. They think they may even think they'll be in trouble for it, or they're gonna be 
labeled or they're going to be looked down on or sent away. Or I mean, who knows? Who knows what's going on in, in their minds? They're children, right? And yet this these terrible things are happening to them. And if they can't talk about them, nothing's going to change. If anything, it's going to get worse, right? It could be the the first uh, step on that slippery slope. And so I think you hit on a really important point. We talk about awareness a lot. Well, what is awareness? It's people talking about it. But how do we stop it before it starts? Or how do we nip it in the bud and, and, and stop it before it gets worse? There has to be that open dialogue. And I think it's really important. I, I think some of the best parents and some of the best examples I've seen are those who have really great open relationships with their children. Kids can talk to them about anything, right? Good, bad, or indifferent. So how do we do that? How do we help perpetuate that movement? Because where Matt and I talked uh, two weeks ab ago about stopping pornography before it gets started. I mean, it doesn't start with, you don't start as a child, you know, uh, trafficker. Or a, or a pedophile, you start with that first Playboy magazine when you're eight years old. That's one piece that has to be addressed and, and looked at seriously, I think, legislatively and, and so forth. Um, you know, freedom of expression be damned, right? <laughs> there has to be safeguards in place. But I think this this topic of, of open communication is equally important. Yeah, I think like the, the the best thing, there's other oh, three points that I'll hit on that you mentioned. Um, for one, um, I'll start off with pornography. Like Matt makes a great point as far as like the porn consumption and, and what that can lead to. But also um, I've had cases where uh, the pornography companies and the traffickers are direct partners to where these traffickers will abuse these little girls, upload it to sites like Pornhub and X videos and make money off of the continue the continued abuse of these survivors and i've had i can count uh from in two hands the number of times a survivor has called me suicidal because um a 15 year old girl she was raped by this american he filmed the whole thing created csam uploaded to pornhub it went viral and people in her community are now asking her how much she costs or calling her all these horrible names in reality, she was 15 and she was raped. And this person not only documented her worst moment, but is now monetizing it and making money right. off it. And Profiting so, from it. pornography, like, like, I mean, yeah, there's pornography out there that's two consenting adults and they're professionals and, and 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 whatever. But if you go to a site like Pornhub where they don't verify consent, they don't verify users, they don't verify any of this stuff, it's more than likely you're watching a trafficking victim in their worst moment and you're consuming that for the benefit of the trafficker and the porn company. And to me, like that, that should be motivation enough to not watch porn because you're consuming someone's worst moment. Right. The other point is like, I think if I can interject and it should be motivation enough for law enforcement, the, the lawmakers, politicians, et cetera, to take a stand on it, to do something about it, to do more than they are. Right. We know they're doing much. They're, they're, they're trying. They're making an effort, and some are doing more than others, but not enough is being done. And until the public stands up for it, until we, you know, there's that outcry like uh, the citizens did back in the Civil War in Uncle Tom's cabin, and I mean, that was when slavery was truly addressed. That's why, that's where Abraham Lincoln got involved. That's where the people got behind the movement and that's when slavery was eventually abolished. We know it wasn't uh, officially, but or, or completely, but there was a movement. And 
I think it's a really important piece talking about communication. We need to get all of us talking about it as well. So sorry, go ahead. You, you, you give me a good segue again. You talk about the money behind it, like, but people have to stand up and say this is not okay because Pornhub still, like Pornhub's come under so much scrutiny. They're in so many different lawsuits. Many of our survivors are actually suing them for being the traffickers' partners and all this. Yeah. Yet Pornhub still gets more hits today than Netflix. And so until you can start targeting their wallet, they're going to start doing the exact same thing. That's why it's so important to voice outrage against these people, that the lawsuits are successful. Because like prevention, you talk about preventing um, preventing these things. And, and you, I think talking to your kids is great. Like talking to your kids, making them aware, letting them know that like, like you said, a safe space to where if so often, if a survivor of abuse will blame themselves more than anything, because in a world of chaos, when you self-blame, it lets you feel some kind of control that you don't really have, but it makes you feel better in the moment. And it creates so much guilt. And so creating a safe space with your parents, with your kids, of being like, hey, this happened to me. Uncle Fred did this to me. Please believe me. This is what he did. And take taking that report serious. Right. Next thing, last point I want to touch on is the the preventing this crime. I think the best way to prevent this crime is um, one hell of a prosecution. If you have someone that... A, a prosecutor for the DOJ or or, uh, or the district attorney that takes a trafficking case and gives it their full effort and gets a good sentence to where these guys not only spend the next 15 to 25 years in jail or more if they were creating CSAM, but also take all their assets, um, take all their take their Airbnb, take their bank account, take all their crypto, do everything to make it such a financial penalty and a penalty of time where it creates enough of a deterrent to where they don't do that anymore. We have a case just recently where um, our team helped support the arrest of a crypto fund manager in Colombia. He's in jail, made national news, and we want to take all of his assets to where, yeah, he'll spend the next 20 years in jail, but also he's going to come out in 20 years broke, and we're going to give all of that money back to the survivors I think that is the way that creates more of a deterrent than anything is a is a solid prosecution. That's a good point. You know, hit them where it hurts. Hit them in their wallet, right? Um, you know, we we overlooked um, obviously another piece of it, and that is how do we protect our children from even getting groomed, even getting involved in that. Any, any thoughts on that? I know there's parents out there saying, you know, I'm trying to put filters on our computer and I'm trying to keep an eye on our kids when we're at the park and we, you know, we try to not let, leave them alone with, with a, with a, a you know, a, a male caregiver or, or, but do you have any thoughts on, on that? Because you, you know, we talk about pornography, we talk about communication and open and having a safe place to, to speak, but there are still risks all around. Yeah. And how do we, how do we avoid them? How do we, to the best of our abilities as parents, as as citizens, help protect our kids? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm glad that I didn't grow up during this time because I really believe that being a kid now is so much harder than when I was a kid, just because so many of your mistakes are immortalized forever because of smartphones. Um, this is a question I get a lot as far as like helping parents take care of their kids, and it's so it's it's so hard. Like I just want to verbalize that of parents listening of like I know how hard it is, and even like what I say won't be perfect. Um, but one thing I would do is monitor social media. Um, I don't think it's realistic now and day to be like, well, no cell phones for my kids, zero, none. 
not going to happen. Like you can try, but I think they'll probably get a cell phone elsewhere. They'll, they'll get an Instagram account and log into their friend's account or, or whatever. Um, they'll, 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 it's so widely used that, um, they will get it somehow. And so, um, just monitoring that, having open communication of like, you can have a social media account, but do not let people follow you that you don't know, or do not receive messages or communicate with anybody that you have not met in person. Because a lot of, of the cases that we work here at OUR start out online through Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, all these different social media sites. Not that they're bad, it's just predators are smart and they're always adapting and they're going to use, um, they're going to use those uh, those social media accounts, those online avenues to gain access to your kids. And they're always looking for someone vulnerable of a girl that posts, oh my gosh, my mom is being this today or my dad will let me go tonight. They're looking for that and looking to exploit that vulnerability as a, as a place of safety, as a place of trust. And so be wary of that. Right. And they're not going to come and say, I'm a 50 year old guy and I want to talk to you. They're going to pretend like they're a teen who's the same age or maybe a, maybe a boy, but the same age, they're a 12 year old too. And they're going to build a friendship and they're going to start no. chatting. And now that now your child is confiding in them, how they hate you, you know, things like that. And they're very, they're very sneaky, right? Yeah. It's not, and they're very, and they're smart. They're not just going to overtly say, Hey, I'm a 50 year old guy. You want to chat with me? You know? I mean, I guess that goes without saying, but I don't think we realize how um, devious these yeah. people are. Yeah. And in the, the second piece of advice that I would give is um, watch your kids in the park. You take them to the park, swimming pool, make sure you watch them. But based on statistics, uh, your kid is much more likely to get abused if you leave them with a trusted family member or a church member and you you and your husband go to dinner or you and your wife go out to a movie or something like that's much more likely to happen. And so sleepovers, I would say no sleepovers ever. Um, in Salt Lake City, the majority of the cases of abuse that we get here are because people are so trusting. They leave people with church members, with uncles, with with grandpas um with with ants uh and sometimes abuse as well uh female sometimes abuse as well and um sleepovers like the sleepovers that's where a lot of the abuse uh that we see happen and and so it's, you almost have to be more careful of who you leave your kids with that you trust versus who may potentially take your kid that you don't know it's very interesting i think it's a really important point you know as i look back at my childhood and Growing up, I, I saw examples of exactly what you're talking about, where it could have gone one way or the other, and uh, parents are upstairs or asleep or in a completely different house, assuming everything's fine when it's not. And so as much as I'm, a, I'm an eternal optimist, but in this area, I believe as parents or caregivers, we have to be jaded. We have to be uh, pessimists, or at least as my wife says, a realist, right, about what the potential risks are. So... We are up against our next break, uh, next and last break. So uh, I'm always, uh, I always comment on how fast this hour goes by. But if you're listening, thanks for being with us. We're visiting with Tyler Schwab, who's uh, very involved with Operation Underground Railroad. We haven't even really talked about aftercare, but we, uh, we'll come back after the break and talk a little bit about that. We are going to do a whole other episode with Jessica Mass, who oversees aftercare for uh, OUR as well. So... Uh, but this has been a very interesting conversation. I think it's a really important conversation, and we haven't dug 
down deep enough into how it's happening, why it's happening, what we can do about it. So I'm enjoying this. We will be right back. Thanks for listening. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. If you're a nonprofit in need of funding, we can help. Certainty Management is a cost reduction firm that also helps churches, schools, sports teams, and other nonprofits raise unlimited zero cost funding. Best of all, you don't have to sell anything or ask for donations. Call 888 684 3122 to learn more today. That's 888 684 3122. Visit us on the web at certaintyteam.com. That's certainty, T E A M, like Mary.com. Certainty Management can help create more certainty in your life with our deep discount health insurance options, even for 1099s, part-time employees, volunteers, and more. Pay less to protect yourself, your loved ones, and your team. Call 888-684-3122 for a free quote today. That's 888-684-3122. Visit us on the web at CertaintyTeam.com. That's Certainty. T-E-A-M, like Mary.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Finding Certainty with Patrick Lang. Have a question for Patrick or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now, back to the show with Patrick. Well, thanks for being with us here on Finding Certainty. You know, when I started the show for Voice America Business, I was asked to to consider a title and consider a platform. And it took a while to come up with the name. And eventually we decided on this title, Finding Certainty. And I've really come to love it. I mean, our company is named Certainty Management, so it was a outgrowth of that. But, but there are a lot of people out there who are looking for more certainty. And, and not just in this arena, not just in trafficking, but in business and in their relationships and parent, how to be a better parent, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's a great deal of uncertainty in the world. I have this painting behind me. If you're on the YouTube version of uh, George Washington praying next to his horse in Valley Forge. Uh, if you ever want to see it, go and watch one of the YouTube versions of these interviews. But I, I am reminded every time I see it of how many millions of children are out there praying to be found and praying to be rescued. And then when they are rescued, and many of them have been, I mean, OUR is doing a remarkable job of rescuing victims. Thousands of children have been saved. Thousands of traffickers and ch child pornographers and others have been arrested in partnership with various law enforcement agencies. Um, it's just, but it's still just a small dent in this worldwide pandemic. Um, but I'm reminded every time I see that picture that they are praying for relief. They're praying that someone will care enough to go, to, to go out and find them. 
And so uh, you and I were talking, Tyler, during the break about, about, um, and just prior to the break about what it must feel like seeing these, these kids and teens, even adults who are in slavery, who are rescued, um, what it must feel like in that, in your role, knowing that you made that difference. And I know you don't like to be put on a pedestal. That's not what I'm trying to do. Tim, Tim Ballard, others makes me really upset. In fact, when, when critics and naysayers say, well, he just wants to be a white savior and so forth. That's such BS, right? I mean, what are you doing to help save these children? If you're criticizing them, you're on the wrong side of the road, in my opinion. But, but as you look at that, I'm curious to know, how can you, how do you stay with it after years and years without burning out? Because it's, it's, it's gotta be, it's like being a, a, a police officer or something, or you, know, you see the worst of society on a daily basis. And what do you do to keep, to, to stay strong and stay in the battle and not give up? I know, I know some, some people get involved, they can't cut it, they get out. And then others like you and Jessica and Matt and others, this is what you're going to do. And I know many times I hear you and your team say that we will do this the rest of our lives. So it's a question I personally wondered. I think it's an important one. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I can answer it. Um, well, it's definitely, uh, the burnout's real. The the trauma is real. Like I'll be super real with you. Um, I have a really good therapist. My, my therapist is really just, he honestly probably has kept me alive because I've had some instances where even life itself i'm just like if this is what life is i don't know if i want to be a part of it i don't know if if i have a spot here i don't know if i want to be here right so you know i have a great therapist um obviously being from wyoming like i appreciate nature open spaces um that's very healing to me i love working out i love rock music i love <laughs> aggressiveness of it i love I heard, I heard you like swimming in alpine lakes like freezing cold lakes that's a shock to the system right well, and yeah, you just you 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 can't focus on anything else but surviving. And it's, right. I love to binge. I love watching football. I love getting my head kind of outside of what my reality is and just kind of letting grown men hit each other and getting a certain point of pigskin to a certain point of real estate. <laughs> it's a it's super healing. But I think in the end, um, what keeps me going is, I mean, you're right. Like, I don't know if we're going to end this in our lifetime. I, it may exist until the end of the world, but. You know, if we can if we can impact the life of, you know, at OUR we have this saying, um, and, I'll, and I'll and I'll before I finish the saying I'll tell you a story. So I have on my wall a picture of a of a of a little girl from Guatemala. Um, she was rescued in this operation called Operation Barbarossa, where there were members of uh, the MS-13 gang that were controlled by a local judge who was female. They were trafficking a group of women and and little girls in their community in Guatemala. Um, when I first met this little girl, she wanted nothing to do with me, absolutely nothing, um, despite us being on site uh, for her rescue. She was wearing barely any clothing. She was wearing these massive high heels, and she was just 13 years old. She was just holding on, grabbing on to this little teddy bear and wouldn't let go of it. Um, so she goes to an aftercare home. Um, you, you talk about, you know, like just the spirituality aspect of it and how do I know that we're doing the right thing or how do I know that God's involved? And, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the prayer on, um, on that horse, uh, George Washington, 
me and this little girl, we lost contact for a few years. Uh, she went to the aftercare home. Uh, then she left, uh, changed her cell phone, did all these things. And she was um, 16. She had been a couple years and she was trying to save enough money to um, to go to high school. She wanted to finish high school. She That was her dream is to finish high school. And she was trying everything she could to get a job because her mom didn't have a job. Her dad was an alcoholic. And so she, she was applying at all these different jobs. And one day, uh, finally, someone called her back. It was McDonald's. McDonald's called her back in, in her hometown. And, and at this point, I had been finding other survivors from this case and starting to help them and, and support them. And unbeknownst to her, I now had her number and was planning to call her. But she goes to McDonald's. She, you know, she's dressed all professionally. She gets ready to go to McDonald's. And she has this interview at McDonald's, and they reject her. They're like, hey, we don't have any spots for you. You cannot work at McDonald's. And so with the last, like, Ted Kitsales, which is like $1.50, she was, she was able to get halfway home before she had to walk. And she just broke down and cried. She broke down and cried that she just felt so, so defeated. And then I happened to call. And I said, hey, Daisy. And it's great to uh, – Daisy's not a real name, by the way. It's, it's a fake name. I was like, hey, uh, I don't know if you remember me. I was on uh, this rescue. We met each other. I'm helping one of your friends. I'd love to help you too. Um, do you have time this evening for a video call? If you, if, if you have time, like obviously nothing is, is forced. Um, you, you can just tell me to, you know, go to hell if you want. But here's, here's the offer is we're looking to help. And she was like, yeah, like let's, uh, let's, um, let's meet up this, this evening. And so we video call in the evening and she tells me that she's, she's two, uh, $300 in debt, uh, can't pay for school, um, and that she needs another $200 to be able to go to high school and um and finish her finish her degree and so like cool send me the full name of your mom i'll have you the money tomorrow and she she almost thought i was like messing with her she was like really like I really? I, she's like i'm yes. tripping now because i can't believe that I, I get fired from mcdonald's in the morning and you're offering to pay for my school in the evening and i'm like yeah like you don't have to take it like nothing that we give is is an obligation but you can if you want and she took it she took it she, she graduated high school. Um, her ultimate dream now is to be a social worker, to one day work for Operation Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. And the culminating moment of this, of this whole experience was when she was graduating, um, her whole class, they get like those class rings. I think other high schools do this too, where it's like you put the date that you graduated and all these different things. And, and this girl, um, she called me and she sent me this picture and she was like, hey, I just want to let you know something that I did. Um, and I was like, Oh, what'd you do? What happened? What, 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 what happened? She was like, no, it's nothing bad. It's, you know, I'm graduating high school. I didn't think I'd get to this moment. I'm graduating with my, with my class. I got into social work school. And so we all got this class ring and everybody puts, um, uh, May 15th, 2021 or whatever the date was that they graduated. She was like, I went a different route. I chose to put the date April 6th, 2018, because that's the day that I met you. That's the day that I met OUR. That's the day that I was rescued from slavery. And that's the day that my whole, the whole tra- 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 trajectory of my life changed. And so right. I ring, it will always say <clears throat> April 6th. April 6th, <clears throat> excuse me, April 6th, 2018. Easter Sunday. That's very interesting. What a story, Tyler. I'm sure you have many more of them. Um, 
you know, I thought we'd in this conversation today talk about what you do in aftercare and throughout the interview we see glimpses of it, right? And ultimately aftercare is about caring for these survivors, right? Whatever that means. It's different for everyone. And one needs housing, one needs help with schooling, one needs, you know, medical care and counseling and the list goes on. We are going to have Jessica Mass on in a couple of weeks and, and we'll dig into more of that, I'm sure, with her. But, but um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's an important conversation. If you're listening to this uh, either today live or in the future on the replay um, and you want to learn more, you want to get involved, uh, I think we have an obligation to do so, not, not just a nice idea. This is an an absolute responsibility that we have if we are people who care about our community and about routing out the darkness and infusing more light. If you want to learn more, how do, how do people uh, learn more about what you are doing there at OUR? Well, I think going to our website is a great, a great avenue for that, OURSU.org, um, and finding out kind of what we're doing and across the world and what's going on. And But um, I would encourage people, like wherever they're listening to this, if it's in Henderson, Nevada, if it's in, if it's in Costa Mesa, California, if it's in Cheyenne, Wyoming, start Googling and researching who are the anti-trafficking groups, who are the people caring for children uh, in foster care, um, who who's caring for the homeless uh, in your own city, because that's where a lot of the trafficking survivors in your cities are going to different nonprofits, into foster care or to homeless shelters. And so to really make an impact on survivors of trafficking in your community, find who's doing it, find who's, who's working there and help them out with winter coming. I'm sure there's going to need a blankets, shampoo, school supplies, um, homes, uh, foster homes. That would be my like party message of like, if you want to make an impact, uh, visiting OURrescue.org obviously is one way, but if you want to do something more intimate on where you're located, find the people that are serving in your hometown and become an advocate for them and help live where you stand. Great comment. You've been listening to Finding Certainty. I think one of the most important ways we can do that for the people in our lives, the people that we touch. Again, it's a lot closer to us than we may realize. And if it hasn't touched us personally, it will if we don't do something about it. One of the most important ways is to get involved. I believe that we need two things to combat this pandemic, as I call it. We need awareness and we need funding. The more funding they have, the more good we can do. Next week, we're having Nate Lewis on. He's the director of development for OUR. We're going to be talking about the challenges of fundraising and the complexity and what's working, what's not working, and maybe some ways to do it better and, and so forth. But Tyler, thanks again for being on. Again, OURrescue.org, guys, is a good place to start. But look locally. There are a lot of other organizations fighting this epidemic. You guys are doing a great job, uh, Ty, and my hat is off to you. I know you've won awards and you've been recognized. I mean, you received the highest award given by the Colombian government for your work down there. So, But I know it's not about you. But uh, thanks for being on the show and uh, really appreciate your time. Appreciate it, Patrick. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Finding Certainty. 
We hope you've gained some more insight into how to create more certainty in your own business or nonprofit. Join us next week for another taste of the certainty experience. Until then, we wish you greater certainty in all that you do.